The following sermon is by our senior pastor, Grant Castleberry of Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want to, to speak about discerning God's will for your life. Discerning God's will for your life. And the reason I felt led to address this subject is because I've talked to a number of people in recent weeks about this topic, about how do you know what God's will is? How do you know what direction you're supposed to take? I talked to a man going into retirement, and his question was, I need to figure out what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. I was talking to a young pastor this week, and he said, I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go pastor a church. I'm trying to figure this out. What do I do? What, what steps do I take? So the Lord's been putting this on my heart, and then when I was preaching a few weeks ago, you probably don't remember this, but Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul talks about uh, discerning that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. So that really got me thinking, and well, here we are. How do you discern God's will for your life? This is an important subject. The Christian understands, oh, by the way, I have notes for you, but the printer was broken. So, you have no notes. So, here's what you're going to need to do. I have probably a hundred verses. So, you're going to need to either get a pencil and paper or a smartphone and, and, and jot these verses down, but we're going to move really fast. And I might not give, give you all the verses, but there's a lot of verses because you have to cover a lot of verses if you're going to cover a topic like the will of God. So, the Christian understands that God is a person and that God has a will and that all of history is being orchestrated according to that will. Ephesians 1.11, here's your first verse. Ephesians 1.11, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's a remarkable verse, just a staggering verse, that everything that happens that you've experienced, that you've seen on the History Channel, happened according to the counsel of the will of God. Everything, from the small things to the big things. I put it this way uh, to someone recently, everything that happens, happens according to a divine decree. And that decree is the will of God, what God wills to happen. Let me give you a couple other verses. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it, is, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm 33.10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Turn to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. This is an astounding verse when you think about it, Ephesians 2.10, especially for the believer. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, 
For we, the, the Christian, we who are in grace, are his workmanship. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now look at this next phrase, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has a purpose for your life. God has a path for your life. God has a pre-planned road that you are supposed to take. It is God's will for your life. And as a Christian, you care about the will of God. And there's reasons why we care. We care because we see that our Lord cared. We, we see that our Lord cared about following the will of God. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I have a lot of other verses where Jesus says the exact same thing. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, my will is is to do the will of him who sent me. Listen to how important this is for the believer. The mark of the Christian, the mark of a true Christian, is that you desire to do the will of God. That is the mark of a Christian. Uh, turn to, to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is the, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you... Look at verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So just because you claim to be a Christian doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian. Just because you're part of a church doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian. How do you know who the Christian is? Look what Jesus says. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the Christian. The Christian is the one who does the will of God. Let me just give you a couple other cross-references to support this. Jesus said in Mark 3.35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He says in John 7.17, 7, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, if your desire is to do the will of God, then you will understand that I am sent from God and I teach with the authority of God. Turn to the book of Romans. Turn to the right, to, to Romans 12. This is the, the famous two verses that I mentioned earlier, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Really, this is the, the manifesto for the Christian life. This is Paul's application after 11 chapters of doctrine. He says, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word for transformation is where we get our English word metamorphosis. So it's talking about a complete transformation that happens through the renewal of our mind by the Word of God. Then he says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And here's what he means by that. He means that when you renew your mind in the Word of God and you lay your life out on what God says is true in His Word, by testing that, by experiencing that, by, by obeying God's commands that are right here, you come to understand that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. That this is the life of the believer, walking according to the will of God. Now, here's the problem. At this point, believers make a lot of mistakes in discerning God's will. And this is why I think there's so much confusion. I think a lot of people don't understand how to seek the will of God, how to know the will of God. Let me just give you a couple of the, the really the boneheaded methods of discerning the will of God. First is the prophecy method. And the prophecy method is where you go to somebody and say, uh, I, have, I have a word for you from the Lord. Now, I say that not, not to belittle prophecy, because prophecy was important in the New Testament. Obviously, Paul received a prophecy from Agabus in Acts 21, where Agabus said, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be chained. And he took off Paul's belt and chained himself and, and, and put himself on the floor. And he said, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be taken, taken prisoner. But I think there's a very strong case that the gifts of prophecy the gifts of knowledge, the gift of tongues have ceased. And I get that from 1 Corinthians 13.8. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. John says in Revelation 22.18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. The reason why the early church had prophecy is because they didn't have a Bible that was complete. So you read about prophecy in the Corinthian church. Well, the Corinthians didn't even have the Gospel of John. They didn't have many of Paul's letters. They didn't have Peter's letters. They didn't have all of the Scriptures. So what was supplemented was the prophecies. But once Paul says the, the, the perfect which he says in 1 Corinthians 13, which I believe is the Word of God, is complete. He says that these things will pass. And the reason why I think that's important to emphasize is because lots of believers have, have done things because somebody said, this is a Word of God that I'm giving you, and you need to do this. Uh, one of my friends, I know he means well, great guy, called me up one day. And he said, Grant, I have a word from the Lord for you. He said, you're supposed to move to Oklahoma, and you're going to lead a collegiate Bible study there, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be a, a big Bible study. And so that's what you need to do, because this is the, the word that God's given me. Well, he didn't give me that word uh, to me, and last I checked, I'm not in Oklahoma tonight. So there's some caution there. Where, where somebody says, I have a word from the Lord. Look, I'm going to tell you how to discern the, God's will and, 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 and His path for your life. Second is what I call Bible roulette. And this is where you're like, okay, I need to make a decision. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just take my Bible and I'm going to flip the pages 
and I'm going to put, close my eyes and put my finger on a verse, and whatever that verse is, God is going to give me a message as I lay my finger on that verse. Well, nowhere in the New Testament you see somebody doing that with the Old Testament. That's more akin to tarot cards than learning God's will. And what happens, you know, if you're saying, okay, God, who am I supposed to marry? What type of woman am I supposed to marry? And you wind up in 1 Corinthians 16 on Jezebel, right? I mean, what do you do? What do you do if you end up on Balaam's donkey? I mean, the, the Bible flip, Bible roulette is no good. Uh, the other thing I hear about sometimes is the fleece method. And, and that's the, you know, you, you know the story of Gideon's fleece, right? Where he, Gideon said, if I'm supposed to go to battle, Lord, I'm going to put out a fleece, and if, and if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'm going to know I'm supposed to go to battle. And the next morning he wakes up, and it is as he asked the Lord, and then he said, Lord, I'm going to test it again. And then the next morning he woke up, and it was the opposite way, right? So people take that, and they say, okay, I'm going to lay out a fleece. And it's like this, whatever bumper sticker I see next is the college that God has destined me to go to, right? Or all sorts of things like this. And that's, that's the, the, the fleece that I'm just going to lay this out there. So many of you know that my father was killed in a plane crash when I was two years old. And a friend of my grandparents called them, this is this is before they pronounced that he was dead. This was during the whole search and rescue thing. And they said, Kelly's alive. My grandparents said, wow, how do, you, how do you know that? They said, well, we were praying, and then right when we walked outside, we saw an airplane fly by. So that was, that was the fleece. That, that was God's sign that, that Kelly's alive. Well, my dad was not alive. That was, that was a, a, a false way of perceiving the Lord's will. Another mistake that I see Christians make, and this one is, is, is obvious, is ignorance of the Word of God. Ignorance of the Word of God. Simply not knowing what God has said in His Word about how you are supposed to live your life. When I was on the USS Essex on a Marine Expeditionary Unit, a friend of mine came up to me and he said, Grant, I need to talk to you tonight in the officer's mess hall. I said, okay. So we sit down in the officer's mess hall and he says, when I get back to, to port, my girlfriend wants to sleep with me. What am I supposed to do? And I said, well, have you read the New Testament? He said, yeah, but is there any verse that actually addresses this? And I just got his Bible, turned it around, and I turned it to Romans 13, 13, where Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. I said, it's right there. I mean, he said, wow, okay. Sim simple ignorance of the Word of God. Now, I think he was he knew that. He was just probably looking for a loophole. Okay. So, here, the, this next one is probably the most insidious, and it's insidious for two reasons. One, because it's the most prevalent way in our culture of making decisions, 
and because it's partly accurate, and that is the follow your heart method. How many times have you heard that? Just follow your heart. That's how you know what you're supposed to do next. You follow your heart. I also call this the Disney method of decision making. Do you remember Jiminy Cricket? Remember what he said? Give a little whistle, give a little whistle, and what? Always let your conscience be your guide. Remember that? Remember my daughters like that movie Frozen? You remember the, the song, Let It Go? It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. So that mindset of just doing what's in your heart, what is your desire, has, has really affected how Christians understand decision-making and seeking the will of God. Now, here's the, the major problem with that. In an unregenerate state, the heart will deceive you. Jeremiah 17.9, jot down that verse. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the, the heart is going to betray you. Because, because in your unregenerate state as an unbeliever, you've got a heart problem. Your mind is enslaved. Your affections are enslaved to the flesh. And so your heart will betray you again and again and again. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And look at how Paul describes all unbelievers, ourselves before we came to know the Lord. He says, Ephesians 2, 3, he, said, uh, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Where did passions come from? The heart. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's our unregenerate state, is we follow the passions of the flesh, the desires of the body. John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. So they produce these lusts and these desires that lead us astray away from God. Now, the, the reason why this is so dangerous, the follow your, follow your heart method, is because it's partly accurate, as I said. Because the way that God originally made us in the garden is to make decisions in the heart. Where is the will located? The will is located in your heart. Your heart is made up of three things. Your mind, your affections, and your will. That's what your heart consists of. Now, your will is downstream from your mind and your affections. You will always will to do what you desire to do, 100% of the time. 
your will acts in accordance with your desires. You're never going to choose something that you don't want to do, right? That's, that would be foolish to say otherwise. You 110% of the time do what you want to do. And you do what you want to do according to what you think and what you love, what, what's in your mind and what's in your affections. So, Solomon says, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Psalm 37.4, an important verse, we're going to come back to this one. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So, a heart that's actually aligned to the Lord, that's delighting in the Lord, will then be recalibrated to have the right desires, the right affections, and then God gives you those desires those affections. So the key is a heart in tune with God. So St. Augustine said, quote, love God and do what you will. So the key is to love God first and then do what God places in your heart. So with that in mind, let me give you the steps in how to discern God's will for your life. Let me give you these steps. First, so if you're sitting down with somebody and you're trying to make a decision, th this is where you need to go. First and foremost, you need to have a renewed heart through salvation. In other words, you need to be saved. If you're going to do the will of God, this is, I know this is so basic, but you, you, we have to cover the basics. If you're going to do the will of God, you have to be saved. You have to be born again. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slow, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's will for your life is that you be saved. And this is the starting point of understanding God's will for your life. And the way that you are saved is through being born again. So turn to John chapter 3, John chapter 3, turn to the left to John chapter 3, and Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night, and he's asking questions about the kingdom of God, and Jesus says this to Nicodemus in, in verse 5, look at verse 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, unless you're born, again, anothen, born of water and the Spirit, you cannot even enter the kingdom. You can't be saved. What's he talking about with water and the Spirit? Well, what he's referencing is an Old Testament prophecy found in Ezekiel 36. Jot down Ezekiel 36 from 25 to 27, verses 25 to 27. I'm just going to read these to you, but listen to this language, what Ezekiel prophesies will happen in the new covenant. Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put with you. So notice that language of cleansing from the sprinkling, and notice 
Notice he's saying, I will give a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So, this work of the spirit must happen in order for us to repent and be saved. We must be born again. I can't tell you how critical this is. I was once uh, counseling uh, a woman. She came in, and she was addicted to alcohol. She was a drunk. And she said, I need to know how to fight this, how to battle this. What are the steps forward that God wants me to take? And I said, okay, let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Ask her a couple questions. It was clear she didn't understand the gospel. So, rather than me addressing the alcohol issue, again, the alcohol issue, it's an important issue, but until somebody is born again and they have a new heart, they will not desire to do the will of God. That's how critical this is. Until someone is born again, they will not desire to do the will of God. You can drag them to church, you can drag them to AA, you can drag them to whatever, but they will not desire to obey God because they need a new heart. So I went all the way back to the gospel, and I addressed, okay, here's where you are according to the law of God. Here's where you are with the gospel. Do you believe this? She said, no. She said, I came here to talk about my alcohol issue, and she stormed out of the room, left. But you know what? The Holy Spirit convicted her, and three weeks later, she called me, and she said, I met the Lord. The Lord saved her. Then she had the new desire to get clean. To do the Lord's will, it has to start with a new heart. So whenever you're counseling somebody, you're trying to, what am I trying to do? Don't, don't neglect this. I know it seems basic, but are they actually a Christian? And then we can move forward. By the way, how is somebody born again? How's, how does somebody become a Christian? Through the Word of God. So what you need to do is you need to get the Word of God to them. First Peter 1 23, since you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. So discerning God's will begins with the renewed heart. You have to have it. That's foundation. Two, a heart guided by the Holy Spirit. A heart guided by the Holy Spirit. So you want a, a, the person to be born again, and then you must be guided by the Holy Spirit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 17. Ephesians 5, 17. This is very critical. Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's the will of the Lord. There's a connection, verse 18. You see the conjunction and? Paul's linking verse 18 to verse 17. This is the will of the Lord for you. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. 
This is God's will for your life. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, don't be controlled by anything else but the Holy Spirit. What does alcohol do? If you've been to a I know, I know you military guys have been to some of those parties. What does alcohol do when it gets in somebody's blood? It controls them. It affects them. Paul's saying, don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the, the picture of a boat with the sails up and the boat being blown along by the wind we are in our lives to be blown along by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, every single believer is given a birthday gift when they become a Christian, and that's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The gift of the Holy Spirit is not a second blessing. The moment that you are born again, the Holy Spirit from above takes residence in your heart. So listen to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit, capital S, to the Father. So each of you has been given the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. You are the temple of the living God. The question is, have you yielded your life to his power? That's the question. Or are you walking according to the flesh? Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's four other imperatives in the New Testament regarding the Holy Spirit. Four other imperatives. And these are really important to know. Every young couple that I sit down and counsel, I give them these imperatives. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. So be proactive. Walk your life in the power of the Spirit. Very similar to Ephesians 5.18. First Thessalonians 5.19. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do not say no. The Holy Spirit says, get up, go share the gospel with that person. If the Holy Spirit convicts you to confess sin, don't quench the Spirit. And then Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You grieve the Holy Spirit by committing blatant sin, by disobeying the law of God. And then the last one is Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So that when you pray, there's a sense where you're to yield to the Spirit and say, Lord, help me to pray as I should. Uh, not that we go into some comatose state where we're taken over um, in some mystical way, but we pray and we we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit's pleading and the Holy Spirit's convicting in our own souls. Paul says in Romans 8, 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to us, Jesus says, to lead us into 
the truth. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit prompts us and compels us to do certain things. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit drives us and helps us understand the Word of God. So that's number three. So first, you need a renewed heart. Second, you need a heart that's controlled by the Holy Spirit, a heart that's yielded to the Spirit. And third, you need a heart that is renewed by the Word of God, a heart that is renewed by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit authored this book. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, right? So the Holy Spirit breathed out this book. The, the writers wrote as they were carried along, Peter says, by the Holy Spirit. So what the Holy Spirit's going to do in directing you is He is going to lead you to the Word of God. This is the drivetrain and the guardrails of the Christian life. We teach our students, we've been going through the Westminster Catechism. Question two, here's question two. See, students, they're already ahead of us. Here's question two. What role has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Answer, the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. So, let me just give you a few verses. Jot these down. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119.33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. So the picture is this, is that you intake the Word of God so much that your mind and your heart are completely recalibrated to the Lord's will. That's the picture, because this is the will of God. Everything in here is God-breathed. And so if this is what you're intaking, if this is what you're meditating on, if this is what is recalibrating your soul, if this is what is renewing your mind, then you are going to start to function knowing and understanding the will of God. This is the lamp unto your feet, the light unto your path. It's God's Word. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God so that you know and understand God's revealed will. And what, what the Holy Spirit does, and it happens in sermons, it happens when you're sitting down just studying the Word of God in the morning, is, is you're reading, and you, you open up your Bible, and you're just saying, okay, I'm just going to read through Ephesians. I'm just going to read through Colossians. You're not expecting to be convicted. You're not expecting to be implored. You're expecting to read and study, then all of a sudden you're reading, and God the Holy Spirit places a burden on your heart. He starts working in your heart, and He convicts you, and He says, man, you know what? I have not done well with loving this guy like I should. And the reason for that is the Word of God is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to recalibrate the heart. 
Hebrews 4.12, an important verse. It's so important, I'm going to have you turn there. Hebrews 4.12. Look at this. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why is the Word of God living and active? Because it's in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God, who's applying it to your heart. That's why it's living and active. This book is not like any other book. It's not like knowing God or the pursuit of God, or Augustine's confessions, as good as those books are. This book is used by the Holy Spirit so that when it's read, it does heart work in your soul, and it recalibrates you. That's how this word works. So, what does the Word of God say? Let me just give you some, some obvious things. Just, I'm just going to go over these very quickly. These are just kind of the things that when I was talking to my friend on the boat, these are blatant things that God says regarding His will. These are obvious. These are blatant. I'm just going to give you these quickly, and you can go do more homework on them. But God's will is that you live for His glory and enjoyment of him. 1 Corinthians 10:31 whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all for the glory of God. That's the main thing. That is the will of God that you give him glory, that you enjoy him. Psalm 73 73:25 says whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God also it's His will that you be sanctified. God's will is that you be sanctified. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God's will is that you strive for purity, that you strive for sanctification, that you strive to be holy. Peter says, it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Jesus said, if you're hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your right hand causes you to lust, tear it out. I had a college roommate who literally threw his computer out the window of our dorm room because he said, I will not use it anymore to lust. God's will is that you pursue sanctification. Third, God's will is that you give thanks in all circumstances. There's a lot of verses about this, but this, this is a mark of the believer is that we, we encounter all sorts of difficulties and trials, and, and it's God's will that we give thanks in those situations. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Fourth, God's will is that you do good deeds. First Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Fifth, God's will is that at times we must suffer. 
Peter says, 1 Peter 3.17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 1 Peter 4.19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And then six, God's will is that you endure to the end. Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So these are obvious things that God has revealed to us in the Word of God. We don't have to debate these. We don't have to, have to wonder what, what God has said. These are clear propositions. This is the will of God. We give thanks in suffering, that we glorify and honor His name, that we pursue sanctification, that we endure trials. This is all the will of God for our lives. Okay, so those are the first three steps. So one, you have a renewed heart. Two, you're walking by the Spirit. Third, that your heart is renewed by the Word of God. Now, let me just give you some practical rules for conduct. So this is fourth. Now, you can't get to four until you've done one to three. So if you're making a decision, a major decision, don't go to four. Do not pass go until you've done one to three. If you're counseling somebody to make a big decision, do not pass go until you've done one to three. Are they born again? Are they walking by the Spirit? Are they being renewed in the Word of God? Get those things right first. Then we're going to get to four. But once you've done those things, now you get to four, okay? Now you're ready to make a decision. So, first step is make sure you've done one to three, okay? Second step, make your desires known to the Lord. Make your desires known to the Lord. Remember Psalm 37, 4? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you've done steps one to three, What's different about your desires? They're sanctified desires. Now they're godly desires. So now what God has put on your heart is within his will and not contrary to his will. So what I like to do is when I'm thinking and praying about a decision is I write my desires down on a page. I say, okay, these are the desires of my heart. And I make these requests known to God. I begin to pray. I say, God, these are my desires. You know, God says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So you pray. You say, God, this is, and Grace Ann and I, we do this all the time. We're making a decision. Lord, what do we really desire? We desire not what we want, but what we need, we, do, we need A, B, C, and D. We jot them down, write them down, begin praying. You wouldn't believe how many times something happens. We look back on the backside, and what does God provide? A, B, C, and D. So you give these requests to the Lord, but you pray. How did Jesus teach us? Not my will, but your will be done. You give them to the Lord, 
you pray. And then, third step, you wait for the Lord. You wait for the Lord. Because often God's timing is not our timing. David says, Psalm 37, 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 62, 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. So, you, you have a rightly calibrated heart. You then give your desires to the Lord. You then wait for the Lord. And then you look for open and closed doors. You look for open and closed doors. Turn to Acts chapter 16. This is such an important section in terms of how you see Paul being directed. Acts 16, verse 6. Acts 16, verse 6. So Paul has been, remember, sharing the gospel in Asia. He's with Silas. And it says in verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So, so in, in some way, the Holy Spirit closed the door, put up a roadblock. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them another closed door. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what God will do, you're, you're seeking the Lord you have these desires. You make these desires known. You begin praying. You're waiting. The way that you know what to do is the intersection of your desires and an open door. The way that you know what to do is the intersection of your desires and an open door. That's how you know. I thank God for closed doors. Remember Garth Brooks, I thank God for unanswered prayers. I thank God for closed doors. And, and I've tried to do some really dumb stuff that if I would have gone down that road, man. But God will close that door. And I, next time you have a closed door, praise the Lord. Because that means that he did not want you to go down that path. So you walk with these godly desires and you wait for the Lord and then you look for that open door. And when, you, when God opens that door, you walk through it because that's his will for your life. Because it's in tune with the godly desires that you now have and his providential guiding in your life. And then, 
when you walk through the door last, you trust in the providence of God. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Proverbs 16, 19, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. When you walk through that door, you need to know that God put you there. You don't have to second guess it. You don't have to say, well, should should I have walked through that door? No. If your desire was for this, and then God provides the open door, and you've walked through it, you don't need to turn around and say, was that God's will for my life? It is God's will for your life. That's the providence of God, and you keep going. So that's how you discern God's will. But the foundation is what most Christians don't want to do. Most Christians just want those steps I gave you at the end. I just want to, you know, I want the icing on the cake. But it all begins with that foundation. It begins by being born again. It begins by being filled with the Spirit. It begins with your heart being calibrated according to the will of God. And then you're ready with those sanctified desires to begin to navigate and understand the will of God for your life. Let me pray, and then I think we have some time for questions, so I'll open it up the the floor if you have any questions about, just practical questions about how to do this. But let me pray for us, and then we'll go to the Q&A. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit within us who convicts us, who helps us to discern and understand the truth that's in your word, that helps guide us. We thank you, Lord, for the, the supernatural work of being born again, that we have a new heart with new affections and a new mind, the mind of Christ that now we think and we love the things that you love, that we do desire to do your will. So we pray, Lord, that we would do your will, that we would carry out your perfect will in this world, that we would love it, and that that would be our holy passion to carry out your will. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.